Today on the Online Enquirer podcast, we promise not to make as many fire puns as everyone else, or fire metaphors as everyone else. We're going to try and keep it to football. But yes, they will play football Friday night at Memorial Stadium as Illinois hosts Nebraska, despite the small fire that occurred under the horseshoe on Tuesday night. But uh, good job by the fire departments for putting that out, and sounds like very little damage has happened. So Illinois announced the game will go on as planned, no structural damage, and nobody uh, should be put in harm's way structurally with that. So that is good news, and they are playing football. So let's talk about a game that's big for both these programs, relatively, uh, in the scheme of things, for the Big Ten West, because Nebraska needs a win. They're 2-3, and 0-2 oh to start uh, Matt Rule's first season. What have we learned about Matt Rule? What have we learned about Nebraska? Who's had some injury issues, has a new quarterback starting for them recently. But they're playing a little defense. They're playing physical. They're kind of playing in a much different way than Scott Frost did. Is that enough to beat Illinois? We talk with Mike Schaefer, Husker 24-7. And then, as always, to get you ready for the game, kind of doing this now, a six-pack of questions with Joey Wagner. We dive into Illinois. What concerns us most? What we thought of the coach's response this week to a disappointing loss at Purdue? And what this game means for Illinois, which is 2-3. and three. 0-2 in the Big Ten. Very disappointing start for Illinois, of course. We dive into it with Joey Wagner. So, without further ado, let's talk about Illinois-Nebraska. Joey Wagner coming up later, but next, Mike Schaefer of Husker 24-7. All right, let's get some insight on the Nebraska Cornhuskers in the first year under Matt Rule. It's Mike Schaefer of Husker 24-7. Mike, let's start here. Uh, Matt Rule's been there for, what, almost 10 months now? Uh, what What's the, the biggest impact he's made on the program or – What's the biggest thing you've noticed about Matt Rule and his program through 10 months? Yeah, you know, um, it's interesting. He talks, sounds, and acts like a Big Ten coach. So we'll start with that one. Uh, you know, the last two iterations have been Scott Frost and Mike Riley and, you know, even Bo Pelini before, a former Big Ten player, but had spent most of his uh, Nebraska head coaching career at one point in the Big 12. So it's a. It, it's weird. It's you have a coach who's talking about emphasizing special teams and field position and defense and winning in the trenches. These were never things Scott Frost talked about. I know that's stunning. I know it's hard for people to imagine a, a head coach would not have uh, those thoughts. But yeah, so that's that in itself has been a little bit unique. So it it kind of speaks to um, Nebraska, which sort of was on an island in terms of how they played, sort of pulling back towards what you know we now around here just refer to as vintage Big Ten West football where you know the highlights largely seem to be the good punts that landed between the uh, the three yard line and the end zone line and, and everything else and the offense is spectacularly bad uh, so yeah I mean they're they're fully entrenched this is the most Big Ten West version of Nebraska football that maybe we've ever seen in these parts and they went and you know it's great it's the last year of it right they, they they're finally getting there right when it's all about that yeah Matt rules such a perfect fit for the Big Ten West too bad it's uh, all going away here very shortly or or so we assume we'll see what the the new iteration of the schedule looks like here moving forward um How's the fan base after a two and three start? Oh and two to to start the Big Ten. Um, I, I looked at this as a rebuild. I, I don't know what locally it was like, Mike. Um, I mean, there's obviously high expectations at Nebraska. It's a great fan base, but uh, how's the fan base dealt with this first five games? You know, all the talk was basically, oh, this is just, you know they're gonna scrape 
they're, they're going to fight, scratch, and claw to get to six and six, and maybe seven and five if things break right for them. And you know, they're two and three right now. They're the biggest month of their season coming up with Illinois, Northwestern, Purdue. All games that theoretically Nebraska could win. All games theoretically Nebraska could lose. Uh, so they have to get what they can out of the month of October. And coming off of this loss to Michigan, you would think that people thought Nebraska was going to be prepared to, to go toe-to-toe with the number two team in the country and quite possibly maybe the deepest, best team in the country. And, I mean, frankly, Nebraska got absolutely beat like just completely, utterly beat down in every phase of that football game. And that shouldn't be that big of a surprise. They're nowhere near that level. And so it's, you know, for the fan base, on one hand, you have the people that say the right things of, oh, yeah, you know, Matt Rule's got to have time. He's got to get his system to work. You know, it's going to take a little bit. Like, look at the injury situation. On the other hand, you just have years of frustration of tired of being this, uh, you know, kicked dog, if you will. And it's really kind of boiled over to more anger than I was anticipating uh, at the start of this year. Now, you go back to how the season started, blowing a winnable game against Minnesota, uh, where you basically have it in the bag and you give it away in the fourth quarter. Then, you know, longtime rival, uh, Colorado, you get that game. And Nebraska played well. Like, nobody, nobody thinks that because of the score, but they played well, especially early in that game, kind of set up the blueprint for how teams were going to attack Colorado going forward but they don't have enough offense. Like, they couldn't score. They couldn't prevent – they couldn't catch snaps against Colorado. So, the the anger is just so deep-seated because of the way that this thing has already started. And it just feels like, okay, new coach, same crappy football. <laughs> like, when is this going to end? And some of it, you know, it's, it's hard for Nebraska fans to realize, like, that cycle is not easy to get out of. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes time. Like, it takes – the right individual to make the right hires and to bring in the right players. And even then you still have to get a little bit lucky. And so I think the fan base, you know, and I'm, I'm using Twitter, I'm using message boards, I'm using call-in shows as examples. So that's, that's my own mistake right there. But I think for the most part, there's, there's willingness to be patient, but people want to see more progress than what they've probably seen so far here in 2023. So, Mike, before we dive into this iteration of the team, uh, I, I think Matt Rule needs time, and, and obviously he's got a history of turning around programs. I mean, what mm-hmm. he did at Baylor is one of the best rebuilds of college football history. Um, wh- what is the expectation for when Matt Rule gets it going? Like, is it in a new Big Ten with Oregon, USC? Like, what what do they expect in Lincoln once Matt Rule is four years into this? You know, that's, that's kind of like the – the part of the conversation we never really get to because they never get to the point where they're just sort of mediocre, right? right? Like the the sort of alternatively hilarious, devastating thing about Nebraska football is that there's so much angst for what it's going to look like when they're at the mountaintop that nobody ever really realizes that they can't even get halfway up the mountain before falling off again. So, I mean, part of it to me is it doesn't, you know, welcoming in USC and UCLA and Oregon and Washington and jettisoning the Big Ten West, which I think is good for the sport. Like, I think having two horribly unbalanced divisions is bad for the conference overall. Um, that doesn't really matter that much because where Nebraska is going to be ultimately uh, until they're not is measuring themselves against teams like Illinois, Northwestern, Minnesota, mm-hmm. to a degree, Wisconsin and Iowa. Like, those are your peers. Even if it's not a, uh, you know, a division anymore, those are the teams that you haven't been able to beat with any kind of consistency 
for going on three, four years now. And so I don't really care about the random one-off game against Oregon that you play in 2024, and then you may not see them again until 2028. But they're at a different point as a program. And so I think, you know, with Nebraska, it's got to be, can they just get to the point where you can get to six and six, and then we're talking eight and four. And then after that, you know, what's next? And I, I think Matt Rule can do that. Um, I have real hesitation about what the, the ultimate upside of this program could be. But I will say this. He is clearly in the mindset of a college coach that went to the NFL and learned some things about how football works up there and is trying to bring almost, I wouldn't say an NFL mentality to college football, but if you look at how Michigan does things, that is what Nebraska wants to model. They want a defense that can be consistent and can play against any type of offense if they need to. Uh, They want athletes on every level. You know, whether it's up front, they need to be quick. Whether it's in the middle of the field, they need to be quick. Whether it's on the back end, they need to be quick. Obviously, everybody wants all of these things. But the way that they're sort of doing it in the 3-3-5 defense allows them to play teams that spread the field. But also, you know, Michigan aside, they didn't hold up very well against the run in that game. They shut down every other rushing attack that they face. The best chance for Nebraska to win on Friday against Illinois, take that run game away, make Illinois beat you through the air. I don't know if Illinois can do that. I don't know if they can put up enough points that way. But so, you know, that's that's kind of what they're trying to do. And then offensively, it's a pro-style offense. I mean, they, it's not right now. Right now, it's a kitchen sink. They're just trying to do anything they can to get three yards of play. But, um, you know, it's, it's going to be when this thing is set up, how they want it set up, it's going to be a pro-style offense. It's going to be a team that I think is built to try to win games in conference in the 20s, uh, you know, where you had Scott Frost, who was – wanted an offense that could get into the 40s and they could never really do that and it progressively got worse um i I think they'd be comfortable playing games in the 20s so i i think the way that he's going to build it is through the defense through the trenches but they have to go get the pieces and they have to get better um you know kind of in a hurry they're not a very deep team and they're not a very talented team so it doesn't leave you with a lot of options on game day yeah, but long-term, that is the way to build it in the Big Ten. So uh, after Mike Riley, after uh, Scott Frost, I think that's a, the good start. Of, it it of seems like that might have been a targeted part of the whole, you yes. know, head coaching hire. I know that's, again, uh, people seem to think that these hires are just, like, picked out of a hat or at random or whatever. But I think for Trev Alberts, as Nebraska's athletic director, going and modeling yourself off of what's been successful in the Midwest is not the worst way to do it right now. All right, Michael, let's dive into this team. You said that the offense has, has been bad. It's the worst uh, scoring offense in the Big Ten. Now, they do run the football uh, well. 209 yards per game leads the Big Ten. Uh, they're one of the worst in passing offense, only ahead of Iowa in the Big Ten. So why? What, what do they do offensively? Because I turn it on and I see I formation. I see 22 personnel. Um, this is kind of an old-school throwback a little bit with Nebraska. Yeah, a lot of that has to do – they don't have wide receivers. I mean, their best wide receiver, Billy Kemp, uh, Virginia transfer, he's the kind of guy that, you know, you're hoping to get six catches, 65 yards. That's sort of a good game for him at this point. Like, he's – they don't have a lot of big play potential in the passing game. They don't have a guy that can take you deep. Uh, They lost Isaiah Garcia-Castaneda earlier this year. Xavier Betts left the football team at the beginning of August, and that was just – torch their wide receiver depth they have a bunch of freshmen people are excited about but all of these freshmen are largely track guys that need to learn how to play wide receiver uh, you know they're really fast and being fast is really helpful but you know you also have to be able to run routes and know the route tree and the concepts in order to get onto the field and some of those guys just aren't ready yet and none of them came in early 
So they're all just a little bit behind. So they, they are built with their running game, uh, which would be even better if they hadn't lost two of their top three running backs at this point too. And so without Gabe Irvin, you kind of lost what they would refer to as the hammer of their offense. And they really wanted to kind of just hammer away at teams. And then the third, fourth quarter, those, you know, three, four or five yard runs could become seven, eight, 10 yard runs. So that's, that's what they did when they were successful against lesser teams like Northern Illinois and Louisiana tech. It worked to a degree against Minnesota. Um, But I think, you know, with, the injury to Jeff Sims in the second game, you have a backup quarterback that hadn't played before, who's probably more known for his legs, uh, but he can't throw it. And he did look okay against Michigan at times. He was 10 of 12 for 140 yards at one point in that game, uh, finished with 199 and like 52% completion percentage. So it obviously went the other way, but they, they just don't have weapons, Jeremy. Like they just, they're, they're very much, they're going to play ball control. They're going to try to win in the special teams arena. And uh, the defense needs to come up with some stops or big plays because on offense, what you see is what you get. And Heinrich Harburg has the ability to run for a lot of yards, but it's hard to have a consistent offense in 2024 if you can't throw the ball, if you don't have receivers that can stretch the field. And if everybody knows that your quarterback run game is your best weapon, you get a lot of nine guys in the box. And you could do that against this team because those receivers just aren't winning one-on-ones. So is Harburger now the starter? Like, if Jeff Sims is healthy, is he still the starter? That's the big conversation. Um, I set one off on Twitter on Saturday, basically saying I would just move forward with Harburger as your guy. Um, Because with Sims, I struggle if he's going to be healthy at any point where he's near 100% this year again. Um, His mobility being impacted is huge because, again, if you don't have these wide receivers for him to throw to, the fact that he's a slightly more polished passer of 30 more career starts in Harburg doesn't really matter. I mean, one, they don't have people for him to get the ball to. Two, in his two games this year, he's atrocious. I mean, through three interceptions to uh, to Minnesota, several that were just unforced. I mean, they were just floated out there. And then he had issues against Colorado with the snap and the timing and catching. He's fumbled multiple times this year. So to me, Harburg, even though he's far less experienced, has all the physical tools. I think you just continue because you, you're a kitchen sink offense. Like, you you know, I don't have any problem with a guy who might have flaws, but he's your best athlete, and that's what Harburg is. Just go let them play. I mean, we've seen versions of Nebraska have moderate success with this before uh, in the Big Ten where you get those Adrian Martinez-type days. Now, those teams had more talent than what Nebraska is going to be bringing to Champaign. I, you're going to be you're going to be surprised at how desolate it looks compared to what you have been used to seeing. Because usually they Nebraska. would have usually they would have playmakers. They just yep. couldn't consistently they don't have them. them ball. Yeah, they just don't have them. It is it is wild to see this like I have watched teams that have been bad on offense in Nebraska before and I've watched teams that have just been bad but I don't know that I've ever seen a team just devoid other than their two quarterbacks of someone that can just hit a home run on a play like they just don't have that said Mike I mean Illinois defense is not last year's defense right I know that's what that's what everyone keeps saying that's why this game is uh you know movable object versus stoppable force yeah there's there's nothing good in this game in terms of the teams playing it. And, so and that's the, why it's, in a weird way, it's compelling because we don't know what we're going to see. Yeah, I mean, we'll get into what this game means for Nebraska, but, like, the defensive front, like, Johnny Newton's been good. Keith Randolph has been pretty good. But uh, as a unit, they just haven't been all good. So how, how good is the the blocking for, for Nebraska to run this kind of 1992 offense? Yeah. 
So part of why they run that, they don't have the ability to pass protect. I mean, they they start five offensive linemen, but they are a net negative two in terms of tackles, regardless of who's out there. Turner Corcoran had a 0.0 pass protection grade twice, I think, already this season. Teddy Prohaska came in for him when Corcoran got hurt against Michigan and immediately allowed three pressures on five snaps. Um, So they don't have a left tackle right now. So they've got to stay out of obvious passing situations. The good thing is they seem to be at least – average to slightly above average blocking running the ball uh and so that's why they they haven't other than the two games against louisiana tech and northern illinois they really haven't been in a situation against a power five team where you're trying to just run and salt the game away uh minnesota they had that opportunity and they had a fumble um they've kind of flipped things there but it if they are able to run early against Illinois, it plays right into what they want to do. They want to try to set up some passing because they don't want to be completely one-dimensional. But if Harburg and Anthony Grant, uh, and those are your primary guys, if they're able to find space, if they're able to, and they run through contact, like they don't go down easily, either one of them. Um, it That could be very helpful for setting up the rest of Nebraska's offense. But Michigan, as soon as they were able to take the runaway, you know, then you're worried about, a couple tight ends and a couple wide receivers and you find different ways to to sort of either cover that or you just bring the pressure and Nebraska's offensive line can't stop it. So that it's imperative for Nebraska to get a lead early in this game or at least hang around so they don't have to just constantly throw. I found this stat just diving into the numbers. Third and long passes of seven plus yards. Nebraska has converted six of 26. So yeah, yeah get, get them in third and long. That is the key for, for Illinois. Defensively, this looks like a, a legit Big Ten West team, Mike. Yep. Uh, what has worked for them uh, on defense, which has been obviously for Nebraska a sore spot for a long time? Yeah, so the right up in, in front and center, Nash Hopmaker, is their nose tackle, and he has destroyed four of the five opponents Nebraska has played this year. And when I say destroyed, I mean, we're, this is like – it's not Sue because we're never going to see that again. But this is a guy that has absolutely forced teams to triple team him in the middle. And, you know, he's a big six foot five, 300 pound former heavyweight champion wrestler out of South Dakota. His nickname's a polar bear. Everything about him feels a little bit, you know, outsized in terms of, of personality and, and all of that. But he is just, he wrecked Northern Illinois' offensive line by himself. He wrecked Colorado's offensive line to the tune that Nebraska was able to get seven sacks because they had to commit so many guys to, to blocking him that other people were able to get free. He is the key to this defense. They're going to be without Luke Reimer. They're going to be without Deshaun Singleton. Those are two of their better players on the second and third level. But they have guys that they're – the way to describe Nebraska's defense, they're exceedingly competent. They're not – they're not awash with playmakers. They're not going to force a ton of turnovers. Now, if Illinois can – uh, you know, they get into some spots where they're putting the ball up for grabs. Maybe that'll help out. But Nebraska really, if you look at the numbers, they don't have a lot of pass deflections. They don't get their hands on a lot of passes. Uh, what they do is they get teams into third and long a lot, and they get off the field because they're not able to convert. They take advantage of the fact that teams haven't been able to run the football on them. And so, you know, the first down is wasted. Second down, maybe you get three yards on a pass, and then all of a sudden it's third and seven. And their gamble is that if they do that to you three times in a drive, they win one of those three times you're punting and that's that's how they play defense this year and it's it's worked pretty well for them now the pass rush has dipped pretty heavily from the first three games it was on fire uh the last two had not been getting home to the quarterback that'll be a big thing to watch if they if they struggle in the pass rush again 
the secondary has been pretty susceptible. They play off coverage. They really have a, a bubble there. Uh, if you remember, I think it was Arthur Sikowski basically just threw six-yard passes sure. the entire day yeah. in 2021, and Nebraska never adjusted to that. Mm-hmm. This version of the defense will allow for that, just assuming that they'll get bored and try something else. But uh, if Illinois is comfortable just taking what's right in front of them, they could stay on the field for a while. And teams have been able to do that. They just haven't converted it to a lot of points. Yeah. All right, Mike, what, what does this game mean for Nebraska and their, their season and, and, you know, Matt Rule's start? Yeah, so I, I mentioned huge month. So Nebraska's next four games are Illinois, Northwestern, Purdue, Michigan State. Nebraska's two and three. If they can win three of those four games, they finish with Maryland, Wisconsin, Iowa. Uh, that Iowa game, the records don't matter. You just It's like a total – it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who's playing. You know what that game's going to look like on Black Friday. Either way, it just comes down to which team is more competent. Usually that's Iowa. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have an opportunity. If, if the bowl game is is what the whole season hangs on, and it's what people around here want. And Rule has done a nice job of of not, like, making that. It's not guaranteed anything like that. But he basically, you know, he's talked about wanting to build this program the right way and feeling like they're not – in the same situations that he's inherited at Temple and Baylor, where they went one and eleven and two and ten, um, so this is a month for Nebraska to show progress, and I think it really starts with this game. It's a sneaky big game on the schedule when it came out, coming off of the Michigan game on a short week, going on the road to a place where Nebraska traditionally has not played particularly right. well. Um, so it's a uh, it's an important game, and they're they're treating it as such. This is not like a uh, we just got to get through this one and then we get the bye week. No, this is I I mean I wouldn't call it their Super Bowl by any means, but they the commentary coming out of the players and the coaches this week they recognize what's in front of them. They recognize what the month of October can be for them if they want to get to a bowl game in twenty twenty three. So what are the keys to, to going on the road? And I guess we're calling this an upset, even though Illinois has played <laughs> incredibly poorly. Uh, what are the keys to beating an Illinois team that, that is yeah. down right now, Mike? Imagine being an odds maker looking at this game and just, like, not throwing your hands up in the air, you know? Yeah. Like, what are you supposed to do? Hey, Illinois is at home, give them three. Yeah, basically, that's that's kind of what it came down to. So I think the key, uh, like I said, they got to be able to run the ball. They have to, to to stay on the field in that regard, set up easy throws for Heinrich Harburg in, in that fashion. If you can make Illinois, again, one-dimensional, uh, you know, put a lot of pressure on them to be able to beat you with their arm. The other the other key here, and I, I always forget, is it Altmaier? Is yeah. That, that Yeah. He is a central cog in all of this, not just because he's a quarterback, but just from scouting the box score and a little bit that I've watched, he can run a little bit too. And that is not something that teams have taken advantage on third down. They've gotten scrambles to keep drives alive, but we haven't seen a team just come out and run with their quarterback. And that might be something with Nebraska, without Luke Reimer, without Deshaun Singleton, two guys that have been coming up into the box and providing great, you know, you know, run tackling, run support for you. That might be an area where Illinois can really stress Nebraska. And so they, they have to take away the traditional run and then see if they can survive, you know, if Illinois has a lot of quarterback run game. Uh, Mike, I know you focus mostly on football, but I got to ask you, uh, Fred Hoiberg, are people in on him again out in, out in Lincoln? Or, or uh, the way that uh, the way that things finished last year, um, I, I know that you've been a you've been a fan for a while, but the rest <laughs> of the conference learned about Casey Tomanaga. Uh, he is by far the most fun player we've seen at Nebraska. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's the best, uh, but they've got an interesting team set up. The problem is 
a lot of their key pieces weren't able to practice together much of this summer because they were playing in those FIBA events. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a, a guy that uh, people in Illinois are probably familiar with, Brink Mast uh, from Bradley, transferred over. I know from talking to Hoiberg this summer, he's really excited because his best versions of his offense have a five that can shoot threes, and that's what Brink Mast can bring to the table. And as good as Derek Walker was for Nebraska, yeah. they felt like there was times where they couldn't really run the full – offense that they wanted to because he can't shoot from the outside now what he could do as the point forward allowed him to do some other things uh but they they're excited about rink mass and you know they're excited about tomanaga this is i think the most players they brought back in any one season to another under fred hoiberg which is both damning and also i guess good yeah. um but i it feels like a an nit team is kind of its upside I think people around here would certainly want it to be better than that, but that would be progress. And given that they've announced a $450 million stadium renovation, they just replaced their football coach for the third time since uh, mm -hmm. 2014. I don't know that Fred Hoiberg is really on a hot seat here unless Nebraska truly uh, screws up. And his son's on the team. Like I, It feels like this is going to go for at least a few more years, and he earned some grace in that February uh, through Tominaga that – earned you know if they can if they could be an nit team this year people i think will be okay with that it it feels better now than it certainly did in year three where it's like how is this yeah. so bad there's no one i enjoy watching more on a tuesday night at 5 30 p.m than, than <laughs> it's just that's his time that's his time to shine so much joy so much joy all right mike schaefer husker 24 7 check out his great work and the team's great work at husker 24 7 mike thanks man uh i guess i'll see you friday for a big game yeah uh, I actually am not going to be there oh. on Friday. I'm not making the trip over, but you can you can hang out with BC and Brunts oh, well. uh, and and all of that. Hopefully, the the Nebraska media has treated you well and your your I, many requests. I was going to tell you, you it is Tuesday or Wednesday, sorry, at twelve thirty, and I have not gotten requests from the what? twenty radio shows yet in Nebraska. Is, this is rare. Usually, I'm doing like seven radio shows per week. Very disappointing. Yeah, Mike, thank you. Yep, thanks, Jeremy. I want to take a minute and tell you about Homefield. They are a premium collegiate apparel brand based in Indianapolis. They emphasize their commitment to creating incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs. They feature a growing collection of over 150 plus colleges to choose from, including, of course, the University of Illinois. Homefield designs are super unique, guys, because they delve into the archives and history of each school, including Illinois, and they use unique logos and iconic moments to create thoughtfully designed apparel. So if you go to Homefield, Fieldapparel.com, you can see the 80s Illini football helmet that so many you like, flying Illini logo, the Illinois basketball logo from the 2004-2005 Illini team, the script Illini is there, and you guys, these are the most comfortable shirts, and that's what I love about Homefield Apparel, you get the comfort, but you also get authenticity and nostalgia, so I'm telling you guys, give their site a look, it's not the typical Illinois gear you usually see, you can find them at Homefieldapparel.com, where you can see their collection of college available. And guess what? Our listeners at Illini Inquire get 15% off their first order with discount code Illini23. Again, 15% off your first order at homefieldapparel.com with discount code Illini23. So as you go to Illinois football games, get ready for the Illinois basketball season, Homefield Apparel is the perfect apparel to get you ready for the upcoming season. So check them out at homefieldapparel.com. All right, let's focus on the Illinois side of this Illinois-Nebraska game. And uh, there's a fire at Memorial Stadium, Joey, but uh, all is good. According to Illinois, game goes on, practice went on, 
today, it sounds like, according to Brett Bielema. Yeah, I walked by. They were practicing in the stadium. Um, a little bit of excitement, I guess, depending on how you look at it. We can say excitement. No one was hurt. It doesn't sound like there's any damage, uh, any meaningful damage, I should say. So it's a surprising alert to get on a Tuesday evening, late evening, Tuesday night. But it sounds like all is good. Crisis averted. And it set itself up for some 2-3, two and 0-2 oh Big Ten jokes for Illinois, a fire in Memorial Stadium, but we're not. Are you going to lead with the fire? Are no. you going to make a fire pun in quick hits? Good. Do I do I do it? If they if they win, they put out the fire, right? Um, if they lose, the fire is still blazing. Uh, <laughs> I I know I do not plan on it, but man, it's it's sitting there for any media who want. Someone bookmark this for when he inevitably does that on Friday night. I'm usually pretty good about not doing that, right? You get talked out of it. <laughs> You're all on board with thinking it's going to work until someone, usually me, is like, hey, let's, why don't we not? What did I call Altmeyer? What was the, what was the nickname? The Starkville Scrambler Slinger. <laughs> Slinger. And all I could think of is like the Scranton Strangler. And that's not, that's uh, not it. That's, that's why it's good to have somebody working with you uh, in the press yeah. box. <laughs> work those things out. <laughs> all right, Joe, we got a six pack of questions to get us ready for this game. And my first question for you is Illinois struggling. Um, maybe we should have seen some of this given the staff members they lost, given the way they finished last season, given all the talent that they, they lost. And this is kind of based off of Devin Witherspoon. What a performance. Uh, is now the defensive rookie of the year favorite with the pick six, the two sacks, the four quarterback hits, just laying people out. It's so fun to watch. But obviously, Illinois misses some of that talent. So my first question to you, which player from the 2022 team does Illinois miss the most right now? How dumb is this that my answer is not Devin Witherspoon? Good, we're dumb uh, together. I think, they, I think it's Alex Palczewski. Ooh, I like it. The The offensive line has been a problem all season. They, they started with Zy Chrysler at right tackle. That spectacularly failed. He, he gave up a lot of pressures in those first two games. It didn't work. So now you have a right tackle void, and you move Isaiah Adams out of his position, out of the side of the line that he's played on the first two years, and move him over to right tackle. And now you've compromised your left tackle spot to some degree. I think you put Alex Palczewski on this team at right tackle. You could run back effectively the same offensive line as a year ago, subbing Josh Kruitz for Alex Pilstrom. And Josh Kruitz has been fine. I, th I think all things considered on the offensive line for being his first year as a starter, first time as a starter in college, I think uh, maybe that's a really hot take, uh, but I think Alex Palczewski would solidify a lot of those front-end issues, which I think spark a lot of other offensive issues. Yeah, I, I think you can make the case for a lot of guys. I mean, Devin Witherspoon's the, the best player uh, among all these guys. Chase Brown, they certainly need that offensive weapon. I think Chase Brown, we're learning, uh, probably outran some – some offensive line issues potentially last year, especially with those outside zones. But the offensive line was better, so Alex Palczewski could fix a big hole. Could have Isaiah Adams back at left guard. Um, but the guy I'm going with, though, I mean, Isaac Darkangelo is another guy uh, that I think they miss. I think Dylan Rosiak is starting to play really well. I'm going with Sidney Brown. I think they really miss that guy in the middle of the defense, and probably they miss him more because Matthew Bailey is not available, right, that, that he is out right now. I think they miss that aggressive guy in run support. I think they miss that aggressive guy that he knows, hey, if I am if I got the quarterback in this situation and there's a hole right in front of me for me to go pressure him, I'm going to go. He's going to pull that trigger, as he says. I think they miss his voice, too. 
I think they really miss the, the leadership of, of Sidney Brown, the player, the middle of the defense guy. I think safety play has been okay at best for them. And I think it's such an important position in this defense. So you can make a case for so many of these guys. And it's kind of a reminder of how good those players were uh, for them last year. But I, I just think just the key cog in that defense that Sidney Brown was in the middle of that defense, getting everybody lined up, tackling putting pressure on the quarterback even uh covering tight ends covering wide receivers i just think he was invaluable so you could go with so many different guys here yeah i thought i should have known you were going to say Sidney brown when i watched the film review and jay layman had that really really not to spoil too much i watched the film review yeah. but he pointed out green dog and something that Sidney brown did quite often and he's just a really instinctive player man Sidney brown's a good pick all right next question number two what stood out about the coaches' responses to Saturday's loss at Purdue? Brett Bielema, I thought on Saturday, gave us the the most real response you're going to get. He called it embarrassing, right? He, he's talked about how this team is not playing up to uh, what he expects, basically. Uh, and they said they're going to have some harsh conversations with the coaching staff. I thought that was a real response. Monday, he wasn't as into that, Joey. You know, you get you get back a little bit. You say, all right, this is what we got to address with our team. But then I thought Barry Lunny, whether fans care about it or not, he took full accountability for, for the offensive struggles, even though I, I know it's not all on him, right? He didn't miss Henry Boyer in the end zone. He didn't drop the ball that Pat Bryan had. He's not the one that's struggling to block, but he knows it's on him to get it all to work. Uh, and even though I think they got personnel issues on the offensive line and at wide receiver, they got a quarterback going through growing pains. It's up to him to put this team in positions to succeed, and, and he owned that. Um, so I thought that was a good sign. Now it's can he figure it out. Um, Aaron Henry I thought was a little bit more interesting in that he kept focusing on, you know, we got to be better on first and second down. we got to be better on first and second down. But you asked him about the edge rushers and, and the pass rushers and the rotations and all those things, and um, he kept going back to first and second downs. And, and I just think third down getting off the field – is really important, though he did mention penalties are just killing them. Uh, and he did say that, you know, they missed a bunch of tackles, 18 tackles. So uh, I, I thought Lonnie handled it the way in the media you're supposed to handle it. I think the most important thing is how you get your team to perform on Friday or Saturday, of course. Yeah, I think just going back from the totality of Saturday to now, I think it's still – I feel like we're a broken record at this point because we keep talking about offensive identity. Barry said that. I thought it feels like a broken record. It does, and I there's just been no answer to it, right? Like I, there's not been a clear cut answer. I think we we need to distill what offensive identity like. We need to understand what it is too, because it's not just we want to be a power run team or we want to do like those things factor into it. But I don't think that's just the only piece of the offensive identity puzzle. Brett Bielma mentioned it. What do you do on first on third down? What do you do in the short yardage, goal lines? Who are you in these situations? And that's just not really – the whole picture hasn't manifested. We know these teams. We know Brett Bielma. We know Barry Lunny. They want to run the football. They want to be able to run the football effectively. That's part of making up the identity, but it's just little nuances of things that just haven't really seen a complete picture. So I, I just think the search for that. And Brett Bielma stepping in and saying, maybe I've got to – to, to be a part of these conversations and force this um, conversation to happen was also really, really, that was the most interesting thing when we left um, West Lafayette on Saturday. Yeah, because Brett brought it up. The reason I followed up about you've 
you keep mentioning offensive identity. What do you do to address it? And I thought that's when he, he talked about, we got to have harsh conversations and all that. And I thought that was the most telling thing. Not that I thought it was like, oh, Barry Lunny's definitely on the hot seat or anything like that. I, I just think he's like, I got to insert myself into this to make sure I'm putting my coaches in position to coach our players and put them in the best position. And I, I know what they want to do. Barry knows what Brett Bielma wants. And, and what Brett Bielma hired Barry Lunny for was he hired Tony Peterson to run this traditional pro-style offense, right? That was big, physical, get downhill, and then you have a play-action pass game. Brett decided, man, after the first year, I need something that's a little bit more modern, but still has my pro-style tendencies, still is physical, but gets the guys the ball in space. Kind of this modern, you know, what they call tempo offense. And right now, this year, their, their difference of what last year is, Joey, is they hold the ball longer because they want to push the ball downfield, but they don't run the ball well enough on first and second down to set themselves up in, in good situations. Defenses are just teeing off on this offensive line. They're running a lot of stunts that put these offensive linemen in, in some difficult situations that a young, uh, inexperienced guys are, are struggling to handle. And it's, it's not just like one magic bullet here. They have to run the football better, number one. But two, I think Barry is realizing maybe I can't do exactly what we want to do. Maybe I, I think it's – Jay brought it up. It's 12 and 13 personnel a little bit more. Getting more physical up front, establishing those on first and second down, even if it's play action, rollouts, things like that, just to give us a little bit more chance in the run game so we can set up you know, second and three where I can take these big shots or I can run and keep them off balance. Um, I, I think it's all kind of coming down. And I think they're realizing – You know, Brett Bielma kept saying – we know who we are now. We have to coach them based on who they are. And that's, that's an offensive line that struggles. And that's, besides Isaiah Williams, offensive players that, that struggle to get separation. Yeah, I think they kind of fell in love with the idea. And Luke Altmyer's arm is something to, to really like and something to really try to scheme around because it's a good arm. He has a good arm. He can throw the deep ball well, accurately. It's a pretty ball. I think they maybe thought the wide receivers were going to take a bigger step than what they have this season and I think it's probably time to dial that back and get more quick quick hitters you're not getting the separation and you're not getting the protection and those quick hitters those RPOs which also falls on Luke Altmaier yes those were so successful last season with Tommy DeVito and and just being able to there's a lot of value we've seen a lot of value in five yard passes I mean, there's a ton of value there for a team that faces third and forever a lot of times. And to be honest with you, it's things that Casey Washington and Pat Bryan are good at. Those slant routes, they're pretty good at. They're big, physical, uh, but they haven't been getting separation down the field. So I, I think that's that's what they're talking about. But to go off of your point, they need Altmaier to make better decisions in that RPO game. Like looking back at some of that Purdue film, there were some RPO things he, he didn't get correct. And, and that's part of the growing pains of a, of a – Young quarterback. Sophomore quarterback, Yeah, right? of a really seventh start's going to be uh, on Friday night. Those are the growing pains we talked about that you're going to have to deal with. You're hoping the upside of the down-the-field passing game, and we've seen it with Luke Altmaier and Isaiah Williams, just haven't seen it enough with the, with the rest of this group. All right, question number three. Zy Chrysler, Josh Geske, both went down at Purdue. Brett Bielma told you guys today they are questionable on Friday. So how do you expect Illinois to kind of address these offensive line issues, Joey? Well, we should say it sounded a little more optimistic about Josh Geske's possibility. Brett Bielma said he's questionable, although he had a really good day yesterday and a really good day today. Got a very good chance of that happening. But in the event 
and questionable. We saw Reggie Love was questionable last week, and he didn't play. So in the event that both of those guys are out, I think you looked obviously to Jordan Jordan Slaughter. This is the exact role this guy is fits in on this football team. I think even if one of them is out, Jordan Slaughter is your next man up. Yeah. And then Hunter Whiteneck would be the next guy. If both are out, I would expect to see him in there. It wasn't a, a perfect first experience for him last week at Purdue. He struggled. Uh, but he's a guy they're high on. He's a guy who's worked his way in there. But I do find it interesting. I've literally got half of my notebook tight before you yeah. interrupted me and said, <laughs> get on this podcast immediately. Uh, Brandon Henderson was the name Brett Bielema brought up. And I'm still very – Uh-oh. I'm still very pumped the brakes on that because he is still a true yeah. freshman. And until we see it, like to me, when I hear that. He's not your right me- tackle. He is not your right tackle, right? That's no. what Brett Bielema In fact, said. Brett Bielema said they moved him. They've been primarily repping him at guard this season or this week. And I would assume to be in the event that one or both of those guys can't go. So do I think Brandon Henderson is going to start against Nebraska? No. Will he be a rotation player? I would still lean to probably not, but I think that is uh, and it's some one of those two gets hurt and you're already down one or two, you're going to need somebody. And it's telling about his skill, his quick development, that he's in that conversation. But I don't want to mistake that for an ideal situation either. Yeah, it also tells you about the depth issues that they're going through right now. If you have to put him in, what would it be, the top seven? If, if Well, I guess it would be top eight because Barlev would be involved in that as well. If I, I think Chrysler would be more likely to be out than Geske, as, as Bielema talked about today, and the way Chrysler left the field the other day. It just felt like it was more severe. But it, it does tell you about the, the depth issues they're having. And, and yeah, Hunter Whitenack's first game was not great. Um, Slaughter's been serviceable. like I, And I don't, I don't think it's necessarily been better than Chrysler. I think he's been better than Chrysler in pass pro. But in the run game, I think Chrysler's been a little bit better. So um, I don't think any of these are – I keep using this phrase or term, magic bullet. Like, I don't think any of these guys are going to fix it. That's why I think it's got to be more schematic. I think it's got to be more 12 personnel, more max protect. I think the running backs have to protect a little bit more. And I think Luke Altmaier's got to be better. And I brought that up with Barry Loney this week. Like, it's not all on the offensive line. Luke Altmaier needs to get rid of the ball quicker. And when guys are open, he needs to get rid of it. Um, he, he seems to be letting things develop a little bit too much. Sometimes there's Casey Washington open on a little slant for 10 yards. You got to take that. That's what Tommy DeVito did. You take those throws, you move the chains, um, and you're not always going for the home run. So the processing has to quicken up a little bit for Luke Altmaier. And, and you hope, you know, now that he's getting into the close to the second half of his first season as a starter, that those things start to improve. Because he, he's to blame for some of these things too. And he's got to take better care of the ball. You can't be handling the ball like he did at the goal line uh, against Purdue to to give them six points. No, you're right. And I think fairly the offensive line has been questioned. It's It's not a good offensive line. Right. Very more deserved, but more than deserved rather. But man, he's got to have a a little bit faster of an internal clock. And some of that's probably like, I get it. And Barry talked about, he's been kind of peeking at the rush a little bit. I understand you've been teed off on. For, for a lot of times this season and and his legs are valuable but it's it's just that balance it's it is what it is with, with the offensive line it, those two have got to marry 
whatever they can together right now to try to string some sort of sustained drives because we're just not seeing that from this team. I'm very excited to announce a new partnership with Underdog Fantasy. We decided to partner with Underdog because it's the easiest place to play fantasy sports. It's also the fastest growing fantasy app in the industry. Underdog Fantasy has a lot to offer, including their Pick'em game. In Pick'em, you pick whether your favorite players will have a higher or lower stat total in this week's game for a chance to win big. It's so easy to play. Just pick two to five stats of your favorite players and choose whether they'll go higher or lower. You can more than 20 times your amount of money by going five for five. They also have a best ball mania. If you think you know football, you got to check this one out. This year's best ball mania has 50 million in total prizes up for grabs with the winner taking home 3 million. So sign up today with promo code Illini and get your first deposit doubled up to $100. Visit underdogfantasy.com or find them in the app store. And don't forget to register with my promo code Illini to get your first deposit doubled up to $100. You must be 18 plus and present in a state where underdog fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1-800-522-4700 or visit ncpgambling.org. All right, question number four, Joey. What concerns you most about the defense right now? Allowing nearly 50% of third downs to be converted. I mean, that, I know there's been a lot of discussion about the, the rotations, and understandably so, of Johnny Newton and Keith Randolph and them being on the field for thirds. And it's hard to get them back out there when the offense doesn't sub. And I, I would imagine when offensive coordinators see 4 and 88 on the sideline, they're in no hurry to sub. Mm-hmm. They, they want to keep this thing going as long as they can, as long as their personnel personnel will allow. There's also, they're playing a lot of snaps, a lot of snaps. And that's because there's sustained drives. Yeah. 50%, almost 50%, it's like 48 point something of sort. Yeah, percent I, of third downs converted. That's, that's a ton. Well, can I bring up the snaps discussion? Because I know it's been a big one um, for, for fans. Like, why is Johnny Newton, Keith Randolph off the field? Johnny Newton's playing 86 point, or he's playing 80.7% of snaps. He played 86.2 last year. Randolph is playing 75% of snaps. That's more than he played last year, 71.2. Gabe Ackes last year played 60% of snaps this year, 52. But if you go snaps per game, Newton is seven more than last year he's averaging 63 was at 56 last year randolph 58 snaps compared to 46 last year Akis 40 snaps he was at 38 and a half last year so those guys are actually playing more snaps but Illinois defense is on the field for way more snaps so that's why we're noticing the rotation more because they're on the field way more than last year when their defense was just getting off the field so easily yeah, you've, they've got to clean that up because then you get yourself into situations where you're in a third and manageable defensively. You've called a third and six, third and seven, but your studs, have that would have been like their 12th straight play or whatever the case, probably a little high, a little exaggeration. But that's the point being, you notice it when those guys aren't on the field. And you know, meanwhile, the, the opposing teams have converted a first down a few times, not necessarily always on third. I, I do want to bring up a stat I found yesterday that I didn't have prepared. Uh, Illinois has given up first down. So they've given up 120 first downs in total. Not all third down, just in total opposing teams have 120 first downs. 17 of those have come by way of penalty. It's amazing. Th- that can is I, an absurd number. Can I follow up on that stat? I, I, yeah. I, there was a great stat you brought up, so I looked into it a little bit more. Last year, they actually gave up like more penalty first downs and. The share of it was like 26 of their 67 first downs. They allowed. Oh, 67 first downs last year. It's insane. Um, but 26. That's, my, that's a mind-blowing stat, by the way. 26 first downs. 
in an entire season by penalty, two per game. This year they're giving up 3.4 per game. And and those, as Aaron Henry says, half of those drives where they have 10-plus penalty yards, they're ending in touchdowns. Like, teams are ending in touchdowns. Those are killers. And I do want to bring up, and I think Brett Bielema mentioned a little bit of this on Saturday, some of those penalties have changed. Not all, not all. But some of those have changed from post-whistle or post-snap type penalties to more judgment calls, whether it be a pass interference or holdings, maybe a little less judgment, but still a judgment call versus the unsportsmanlike. You still see those, That's which isn't to try to excuse any of them because it's just happening too much. You've got to have a, a better sense. But I do think that that has a little bit shifted from those first few games where now it's just their judgment calls and Illinois has got to They've got to play cleaner in those moments. I will say, Kanata Odaluga got away with two of them, probably. That should have been post. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, I do think that's part scouting, though, because this, this is a handsy defense, right? It is a handsy secondary. I think dares the the referees to call it. And I think that's been scouted a little bit. Say, hey, throw it up. They're going to give us a chance. Like, they're going to give us a chance with how handsy right. they are. So, it's just something to watch uh, moving forward. I'm going to probably bring this up later, Joey, but their, their pass rush is is not good enough. Whether that's scheme and blitzing more, which I, I talked about it with Jay. I just saw two different styles of, of play calling last week with the way – it's not that Illinois doesn't blitz, and I, I don't have the numbers on me to compare how much they blitz last year to this year. It could be similar. But it just feels like it's, one, not happening as much, and, two, uh, it's not as effective. Um, we saw some things. I, I liked what they do with Kanena Odaluga and James Coots on their dime package. Get some fast guys up there that can that can really cause some havoc with those stunts. But they need more out of Gayback as Seth Coleman um, and, and Alec Bryant. Like they hired Charlie Boland to get more out of the pass rush. That is not happening right now. Those guys have combined for 14 pressures through three games. Um, that's not good. That's not a no, good I, pass rush, and they have one sack between all three of those guys. Can I bring up the pre- – I just did this. I asked about BLM about the pressures today, and it's been a big point of conversation. I looked up all the – according to PFF, which take it for what it is, the stats are usually a little more um, realistic than some of the grades. Illinois has 55 – or 59 pressures generated this season from their defensive players. 20 of those are from Johnny Newton. 20. Eight are from Keith Randolph. So your law firm has has accounted for 28 of 59 pressures. There's only two other teams in the Big Ten who have generated fewer pressures per PFF than Illinois, and that's Ohio State. I don't think you would have had that on your bingo board. Would you have? I would not have. They have 52 and Northwestern. Northwestern's always like this team's not going to be last in this category because Northwestern exists right now. They have 50. For reference, Penn State leads the Big Ten, with 129. Purdue has 107. That's, that's Wisconsin has 97. That's a great number, the Purdue one, because of the defense they play. But because I think the talent is similar. Like, I I, I think Nick Scorton, you see, look at him, Joey, and it's like, wow, that's what they look like. Kydron Jenkins is a really good college football player. But Illinois' defensive line is better. And I don't – like, Gabe Ackes and Seth Coleman – like they should be putting up similar numbers to Skirton and Jenkins, and and they're not right now. So whether that's scheme, whether it's those guys, their technique or whatever they're doing, like those guys need to be more productive. I do wonder, and we've seen more dropbacks or maybe some more linebackers kind of hugging on that first down marker. More zone. I do wonder if it's if they've maybe overcompensated trying to protect a younger yes. secondary. Um, as, but like at some point, 
So you're an aggressive you're, defense. You yeah. you are an aggressive defense. You've made a lot. You've had a lot of success being that. I mean, you might do, do you just live it. I don't know. Like, what's the answer? Because well, we just talked about all the pass interference and all the penalties and the yeah. yards. You can look at all of that. So, what is the answer here? Yeah, I, I don't listen. I get the predicament they're in, but my front should be my strength, and it's not a big strength right now. I don't even know if it's a strength compared to other. Like, do teams look at Illinois right now and say, outside of Johnny Newton, does it scare you? Like, does does Gay Backus scare them anymore? I don't know. Does and I don't know if it's their fault or if it's, it's the play calling or whatever it is. But I feel like I I watched it for two years with Ryan Walters compared to what I saw under Lovey Smith. I would err on the side of aggression. I would just I, I always say this. I'm sorry for being repetitive, but put these quarterbacks under pressure, disrupt the backfield. And make them throw into tight windows, and if they beat you, they beat you. If they get a screen pass on you during the game, they get a screen pass on you during the game. But to nickel and dime you down the field like these teams are doing, and then to have a penalty on third down, like I just I, that that's tough for me to live with. I'd rather be the aggressor. Yeah, you got to. We've seen offenses at Illinois or elsewhere. It's it's hard to put together nine, twelve, thirteen play drives without a penalty. It's just, it's, yeah. Without- it's just hard to do. Um, so, so try to make them. Try to make them beat you. I guess I, I don't know, man. It's it's kind of a catch twenty two. But I'm with you. I I err on the side of of be aggressive and look a lot. I mean, a lot of college quarterbacks. And I think it's fun for these guys to play in, right? Like, I think that's another thing. Maybe maybe it gets them uh, teeing off a little bit and gets them to have a little bit more fun. It, it's a little pro- swagger, a little confidence, right? That's probably a no discussion against Nebraska, which struggles to throw the ball. But I think just looking forward. Um, yeah. All right, next question, number five. Who leads the Illini in rush attempts against Nebraska? I want to just just do it. Go nuts! I want to go nuts with it. Yeah, okay, Caden Fagan. Caden Fagan. That's I don't tough. know what Reggie Love's status is. I mean, it sounds like Reggie Love. He's practiced the last two days. That's the other injury note that we need to bring up in this podcast. He's practiced the last two days. He was game time last week at Purdue. I would expect him to play. I would expect him to start. Um, uh, I, I think he'll start as well. Now, but is he limited, right? Like, what is there a pitch count on him? Those are things we don't know. Um, you know, if, if Illinois knows, they're sure as heck not going to tell us. But I think it's just so every week that passes, and it's I know that a lot of these snaps have come in, in what you could probably reasonably describe as garbage time with Caden Fagan. But the eye test still exists. Yes. And he looks explosive, and he's big, and he's hard to bring down. And, and I think more than anything, we heard it, and I asked Brett Bielma about this today, Brett Bielman, I remember earlier in the season, he would say, when he touches the ball, our guys are excited to see him run. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. That was the general sense is our guys want to see him go. Isaiah Adams, he of NFL potential, he he of team captain um, status, so we need to get the ball, maybe get three some more touches. That is, that to me was such a meaningful sentence coming from who it came from. Not like these guys shared a team forever and now – he wants to see his guy get more. That was a really meaningful sentence to me, and I think Caden Fagan has earned that trust of his teammates to go out there and run the ball. And even if a lot of his yards have come in late in games that have not been competitive, right, um, I do think we saw last week at the end of the first half, right? I know they're probably playing a little bit of pre But people mentioned that today. That was, that was against their Purdue starting defense, and he burst through the hole, and you just saw it. Like, everyone can see. You don't need to be a football expert to see. Oh, that guy's big. That guy's explosive. That guy's got some wiggle to him. He looks like the most talented running back. So while Joey Wagner and every message board poster has been sitting there, Caden Fagan, Caden Fagan more, 
I didn't know if Reggie, like I thought Reggie Love was playing pretty well before the injury. You saw Josh McCray play well against FAU. I got it why why Caden Fagan wasn't rushed into this because I didn't know if he could perform in, in those moments against those kind of defenses. He has the last two weeks. He has performed, and you've just seen this burst out of him. And I think getting that experience has been really important. I think from Malik Elzey, all those guys, Kenari Wilcher, just getting on the field, getting those jitters out there. I've done this before. From Malik Elzey, I've had a drop. It's not the end of the world. I can come back. Caden Fagan, like, oh, I didn't get that fourth and one. Next time I know it, maybe I can do a little bit better, um, even though that wasn't his fault. Like, yeah, I just, run behind a different offensive line. That, that's a tough part of not having a – a directional school on the schedule, an FCS team on the schedule early on is is those guys couldn't do that. But now you've seen it, and uh, Brett Bielma sees it, the players see it, Barry Loney sees it. Like he, I think he's going to get ten plus carries, and I don't know if I can put Reggie Love in for that. I think Caden Fagan right now looks like a better option than Josh McCray, and from Brett Bielma today, sounds like Aiden Lawfrey is going to continue to be a, a part of this rotation. He's got to block better, that's for sure. Yeah, so we both went Caden Fagan. Yeah, Caden Fagan. Oh, let's dance. Over, over, I under, converted you. Over under 11 and a half. Hmm. It's a good number. I'll go over. I think I will too. Because I think in an ideal world, Illinois gets in like the gets the ball with like five minutes left in the game and runs the snot out of it, and it's Caden Fagan. Well, that's um, when Josh McCray wouldn't mind coming in the game because he was pretty good at it. Yeah, I, 11 and a half is good. You know, I'm going to put that in for our over-unders. You didn't get a lot of submissions, I understand. Maybe there's not a lot of yeah. uh, buzz right now. 11 and a half for Caden Fagan. All right, question number six. Which player or position group is most in the spotlight for you against Nebraska? I will let you go first, Joe. I think it's – I don't – just going to be cheating because I want to take up two, but that's the way we do our PFF grades every Sunday. I'm going to say the defensive front. This is a team that likes to run the football – against an Illinois defense that has struggled to stop the run, I think the defensive front needs to to shut that down. Be the defensive front you can be, and that includes the linebackers, of course. Be the be that defensive front you can be and make Nebraska throw the ball. Make them throw. They do not do it effectively. This is the second time the run. this is the second time I'll say this on the podcast because I brought it up with Mike Schaefer. Third and long, so seven plus yards, Nebraska this season and when they pass the ball on third and long. They are six for twenty-six in getting the first down. Oh, oh my god! So yeah. if you like, listen, it's not easy when when they fill that box and and they're going to run. But like, you should have the defensive talent to do it. This offensive line is not great for Nebraska. Your defensive like Denzel Daxon got to have your best game as a nose tackle. Uh, Johnny Newton, Keith Rand, uh, Keith Rand. This is a Keith Randolph game, like th- you're in that four-five technique. I'm sorry, you can bring him up, but like. <laughs> He's got to be disruptive up there. The outside linebackers, they'll run the option, like old school option, not zone read option. Like quarterback rolls out and pitches the ball. Like they got to be good. I, I would, I would really highlight the linebackers. I thought Dylan Rosiak had moments, like he missed tackles against Purdue, but he had moments that you're looking for from the linebackers of like that linebacker busted through the blocking and hit that guy really hard for a play at the line of scrimmage or behind the line of scrimmage. We have not seen that from Tariq Barnes. We have not seen it a bunch from Kanena Odaluga. Um, we're starting to see James Crutes play more. Like, you need that violent physicality, decisiveness, and to get through some blocks. Um, so I think I think Rosiak's really important there, uh, too. But I, I hate to cheat here. Your quarterback has to play well. Um, uh, you know, watching that film at Purdue, 
Luke Altmaier made some plays, but he also left a lot of plays out there. Really hurt you with that fumble. Um, needs to be better getting rid of the ball. I understand he doesn't have a lot of help right now in the offensive line. You know, the wide receivers outside of Isaiah Williams are are not helping him a bunch, but he's got to make the throws when they're there. Can't miss that throw to Henry Boyer. Um, he's just got to play better. And I don't think he's been the biggest problem of the offense, but it's time for him to to start looking more like a, a veteran now. So to win Big Ten games, then Luke Altmaier just be a little bit better in his decision-making. Yeah, he hasn't been the biggest problem, but you also need him right now and your team to be the biggest solution. Yes. I think it's the best way I can put it. No, it's a great way of putting it. All right, pick to click. Offense. Uh, I don't think anybody we would have picked last week would have won because we don't we can't pick Isaiah Williams and, and rarely are we going to pick one offensive lineman. Julian Pearl was fantastic uh, in that game. He looked like an NFL player. So yeah, they were really week, excited with how Julian Pearl played, by the way. He last was week. phenomenal. Um, he was physical. He was phenomenal in, in, in pass sets. And to be honest with you, I know Isaiah Adams, like the PFF grades are not good for him. I thought he had his best week at right tackle last week. Gave up the one sack, got beat on the inside. But I thought, I thought the outside guys held up decently well. The interior just got blown up uh, with some of those stunts. The running backs did not help in, in pass coverage. But you picked Luke Altmaier, eh, and I picked Josh McCray. Both those guys had touchdowns, but <laughs> accounted for the two touchdowns in one way, or three, I guess. But um, I don't think either of us won that one. But who you got? Offense pick to click. I'm going to take the guy we talked about who we think is going to lead the team in rushing. I'm going to cheat all day on that and take Caden Fagan. I think it's just – it's time. Like, again, remember the same conversation we had with Malik Elzey early in the season? It's like, you don't – you're always hesitant because, like, words matter. And, and, like, trying to not put so much on this guy. Like, he's the savior of this or that of the offense, or he's going to be this. But I think well, there's enough of a, there's enough snaps, enough handoffs right now to say he's close. Yeah. If And he's, he's clearly working his way into having that opportunity. So I'm going to take him. We'll see what happens. You know I'm tempted to take a tight end if I think they're going to play more 12 or 13 I know. personnel. I figured you'd take Tip Ryman right off the gate. Uh, but and that, that's the only thing. Like, I, I really want to take a wide receiver, Joey, not named Isaiah Williams, because I do feel those slants, if they go more to this RPO game, are going to be available. But I'm just trying to think, who plays more snaps than Pat Bryant or Casey Washington? It'd probably be Casey Washington. But... Is this the first career touchdown game? Or first receiving touchdown game for Casey Washington? I'm thinking about it. Oh! Yeah, yeah, let's go. Casey Washington, first career touchdown. <laughs> if I get that, I win automatically, right? He could have one catch for 10 yards. I'll, I'll, I'll go back and give you last week's win, too. <laughs> if I'm calling something like that. Whoa. Oh, yeah, it's an alert. <laughs> <laughs> Did we both get it at the same time? I didn't, but I thought you were so excited for your Casey Washington pick that you set up some sort of award. That could not have gone better. <laughs> now now we need to do that more often whenever we make a bold call. Oh my God. All right, defense pick to click. Last week I picked Gay Backus. You picked Nicario Harper. I don't think either of those won. Who would have been the winner there? Rosiak? But his second half wasn't great. His first half was great. I would take Rose. Do you also keep your phone on loud? Because I just got the alert and I didn't. Oh, no, it's on silent. I'm kind of glad the alert goes off, man. Well, I'm a little concerned that mine did not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to need you to call or text or something. Was that just up. a test? I, I, should, I should probably make sure we're not in trouble. It, it was just a test. I saw something okay. yesterday. It was just, just a test. This is just a test uh, of the national emergency. I think, I think Dylan Rosiak last week would have been the, yeah. the one, right? Yeah. Who you got? 
I'm going to go with Keith Randolph. Wow. And I, Keith Randolph's a guy who, obviously, for everything that you mentioned and the way stopping the run, he also, like, he plays very emotionally in ways that I don't find to be very detrimental for him. I feel like, like, there's a fine line for a lot of guys. I don't, there's, you know, a face mask here or there, but he usually channels it pretty correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wondering if the comments from Ryan Walters post game have trickled back to the defensive line room where he said, paraphrasing, but he said, take the lesser of two evils if you're trying to decide between Keith and Johnny, and we didn't want to run at Johnny. Which was, it's it's the right decision. I I get it, right? Like one guy you're talking about a top half of the first round potential draft pick. Keith Randolph should be a draft pick as well, but you covered Keith as long as I have, Jeremy. It seems like a guy who, if that found his way back, would fire him up a little bit. He, he probably knows his team needs a spark. He's a team captain. I think it's him, and I think Johnny Newton is going to understandably get a lot of attention. Yeah. And when he does, that, that's Keith Randolph time. Hmm. So what is that, like a tack on a half plus per loss or for loss? Or a sack. No. But it, given it's Nebraska, I would say it's probably like a Two tack tackles for loss. Plus. Yeah. yeah. I, it's a big game for Denzel Daxon at center with the way they run the ball. Um his is probably more measured in team rushing success, right? Because right. individual stats aren't going to be nuts. It's hard, it's hard to pick a, a nose tackle for this. But, boy, Calvin Avery at times this year has, has been missed. We could have gone with him, too, at the first question. Um, I'm going to go Rosiek. I, I've seen flashes, man, the last two weeks of a guy that I thought we were hearing about during the spring. about And what we saw during the spring, we actually saw some scrimmages. And he was making plays. He was violent at the point of attack. And you're starting to see him make plays behind the line of scrimmage, and that that linebacker is going to be incredibly important uh, against this Nebraska offense, which is wants to run the ball, just run the ball down your throat. It's old school Nebraska offense, kind of like what Tommy Frazier would have ran. Not as good athletes in it, but uh, I just feel like you need your linebackers to play their best game. So I think Dylan Rosick's going to get a lot of tackles, but for me, it's about making those plays at the line of scrimmage and not seven yards down the field. Yeah, I agree. I knew, I figured. I mean, I don't know that we're at a point. If we can't pick Johnny and I pick Keith, is there a secondary player right now, right this minute, that, that you would feel like would be a pick to click? I mean, it's it's time for some interceptions, man. It, it is it is really time to turn those pass breakups or that tight coverage into big plays. Um, you know, Miles Scott had the pick six, which changed the game against Toledo. He's leading the team in tackles because that's not a good thing. But like he he's he is right now, uh, even though I think he's been okay in run support. They they need those guys to start making those plays. I thought Xavier Scott was really good last week. You didn't hear from the slot receivers all that much, uh, but boy, those guys in the perimeter really hurt you. So I just don't know if it's that game. Like you should be no, able to no, play no, man no. coverage with Miles Scott over the top against you know. Nebraska, that's got Billy Kemp, who's a good player, but doesn't scare you. Illinois held him to zero catches last year. Had five or six for 55 the year before when Virginia crushed you. Marcus Washington's got some hands issues. He can make plays down the field, kind of like Pat Bryant. But it's not a it's not a passing attack that scares you. So, for me, it's all about up front. Yeah, they don't lean into trying to be a passing attack. You want to talk about a team that knows its identity offensively? It's Nebraska, man. They want to win this game 14-10. to 10. That's what they want to do. Hey, Brett, I don't know that Brett Bielema would argue if that went the other way for his team, right? Like, you go 14 to 10, fine by Bielema. This, this thing kicks off at 7. 
We could be looking at 930. We're out of there. Not with Fox's commercials, Joey. <laughs> let, let me dream. <laughs> not with Fox's commercials. Uh, Mark Helfrich on the call, by the way. It's a monster game, Joey. If, if Illinois has any um, any thoughts of going to a bowl game, this is the kind of game you got to win. Now, they could lose it, and the Big Ten West still doesn't scare me outside of Wisconsin. Maryland scares the heck out of me. But those teams are up next after this. So, like, that's what's uh, terrifying for, for Illinois is uh, the schedule, while it gives you some opportunities, if you can't beat a Nebraska, what opportunities are there? You could be looking at two and six real quick. And I think that's a, a scary proposition. You win this, you're at three, you've still got Minnesota, Northwestern, Indiana, teams that you should reasonably be favored against, even though I know it's on the road at Minneapolis. That team looks like it's got some issues to resolve. Uh, you, you need... I always got this, issues, right? right? Yeah, but I they got a defense too. Yeah, defense um, and special teams, yeah. Yeah, so I, I think there's still a path, and someone might hear that and roll their eyes, and I understand that because this has not been the most encouraging first five games that anyone has ever seen put on tape. But they lose three Nebraska. winnable winnable games, right? And you get this one, and you could really set yourself up. Yeah, if you lose to Nebraska, I think you're going to win maybe one more game. Like that's how I, it's just the way you've played. It would, it would make me feel like you can win one more game, maybe. Um, if you beat Nebraska, yeah, I think you got plenty of opportunities to potentially get to a bowl game still. Uh, and maybe if you can upset Maryland's going to be very difficult to me. But if you can upset Wisconsin, upset Iowa, all of a sudden, oh, you can still have a really good year. If they don't get this one they're not going to have a good year. Like, that's pretty the, clear. The West, the West is so bizarre. Like, if you would have told me after that game on Saturday, like, when, during our podcast on Saturday, like, hey, there's still, like, as bad as this has looked at times, and it's looked pretty bad at times, the West is just so disastrous. I'm going to miss it. And you got Indiana. What a, what a hard breakup this is going to be. And you got Indiana on the schedule, which helps you out. Um, now the crossovers, you thought Maryland might be a little easier than they were, but that's a good team. That might that team looks like a ton. Yeah, yeah, they look like uh, I don't know if they're as good as Penn State, but boy, the offense is better than Penn State's. Um, and Illinois, the way they're playing offense and defense right now, and that's the thing. Like people listening to this are going, "No, nah, there's no path if you don't beat Nebraska." No, nah, not the way they play like this. And you know, half of season in, if they lose to Nebraska, it would certainly be that case. But you're just looking for a full game where they give themselves a chance to win. Joey, give yourself a chance to win going into the fourth quarter they have not done that uh against their three power five opponents no that's the scary part right it's it's the the power five opponents uh, the stats are kind of lopsided in those games all right joey wagner thank you buddy i'll see you friday night thanks man thank you to mike schaefer husker 24 7 and joey wagner Illini inquire i'll read all their content leading up to kickoff friday night 7 p.m on fox sports one. Thank you for listening to the Online Choir podcast. Give us a follow, rating, review, wherever you get your podcast. If you're listening to this on Thursday, still got uh, time to get our two for one deal. One dollar for two months of Illini Inquirer VIP coverage that takes you through the end of the football season, through the start of the basketball season. A lot of recruiting happening between then, uh, now and then, I guess I should say. So go check that out. Um, just two cents a day actually less than two cents a day for the next two months of Illini Inquirer VIP coverage. So if you've wanted to try us out, it's a nice opportunity to spend very little money and get a lot of Illinois athletics coverage. Everybody have a great day. Take care of each other. We'll talk to you next time right here on the Illini Inquirer podcast. Bye, everybody.